Hey, what is going on everyone? It's me, Mr. Mario, and welcome back to another episode of Mod Chat. In case you do not know, this is a podcast I do here at least monthly in two different forms. First of all, it is available in a visual form here on the Mr. Mario 2011 YouTube channel, where it is quite helpful if I am showing things or even doing show and tell, anything along those lines. But because this is a podcast, this is also available on most major podcasting platforms. Simply look up Mod Chat, all one word and you should hopefully be able to find it on your favorite podcasting app, host, service, or provider. It's not available on all of them, but it is available on most of them. Either way, this is a show where I take some things that I see that are of interest in the world of video game modding, console modding, and all that fun stuff, and I bring them to you right here at least once a month. Let's go ahead and delve into what we have this month here. In something pretty interesting, at least to me, starting off with revisiting Fail Overflow and quite literally revisiting them because from Hector Martin, here, he stated, some people were asking and apparently decompiling, so I pushed the boot me loader code here. As I've said before, it's really just mini plus a main.c and a couple other minor things, and the elf loader wrapper bit, in case it's useful to anyone. Now, this is really cool to see. Let's go ahead and actually check this out. Now, if you've ever soft modded a Wii, this page here, bootme.org, might be familiar to you. On earlier models of the Wii, I know it's not compatible on all of them, but on many of the early models, you can actually install this right here to boot to, and it is a, as it says here, a boot to replacement and really this just allows you to have essentially a recovery mode on your Wii so you can go there you can dump your NAND you can rewrite your NAND if you need to it's really awesome to have this available but check this out over on the fail overflow github page we do have the boot me repository right here and checking this out the boot me loader this repository contains the public release of the source code for the boot me stub loader included portions are the elf loader stub the boot me SD loader proper, the reset stub, and a mini, which is a sub-module, but it does not include the Bootu style wad packaging stuff, PyWee, you'd have to see uh, the homebrew channel, UI slash PPC side, I'm guessing that'd be PowerPC there, so underscore ceiling cat, that's what's for, I'm not sure about that in all honesty, and it also does not include the installer. Now, it states that the code in this repository may differ from the source code used to build the official version of BootMe. This code is also released under no warranty and has only been build tested. Now, it also states here, seriously, do not release this to users unless you have read this and spent months testing hardware variations and building an installer that cross-checks every step including boot one simulation prior to actually committing to NAND. There's a reason we didn't brick any Wii's with this stuff. We're releasing this because it's been over a decade and some people are asking for it to experiment with dev kits and other weird stuff. Not because anyone should try using this on their Wii. So overall, I love seeing stuff like this. This is super awesome to see and just a, a really pleasant surprise overall. Uh, even on Twitter, it seemed like Hector Martin was even stating that I guess he was contacted at one point saying, hey, uh, we're working on decompiling Boot Me. Uh, would it be okay to release this under a certain license? And he was like, uh... 
you know, here's boot me here. This will just be easier. So this is really cool to see overall. Big shout out and thank you to Fail Overflow. Now for the Xbox 360, I absolutely love this system. And this is a page that we have looked at before in regards to the XL USB patches, which allow uh, consoles like hard modded Xbox 360 consoles, so like a JTAG or a RGH, to use a hard drive externally through USB up to 16 terabytes. Well, it looks like this has actually been updated. Not only the USB patches have been updated by Eaton, but there's now internal hard drive support, which for anybody who might remember, uh, it was actually even stated by Eaton when he did his previous write-up. He was saying that currently XL USB, I guess at the time, was only available for USB, but if there was enough demand for it and he saw enough of a purpose, he would also make a patch for the internal drive. So here, let's just kind of check out his, his page on this. A nice little throwback, he says here, when I was in high school around the time the Xbox 360 JTAG became popular, one of the first things I did when I got my console modded was upgrade the internal hard drive to a custom 500 gigabyte drive. It was a 500 gigabyte 7200 RPM Hitachi Travel Star. At the time, 250 gigabytes was officially the highest you could go. My friends were amazed. Here's the exact picture I posted to social media back in March 19th, 2010. Jeez, this is almost 13 years old now. Thanks to XB Reboot Creators, a precursor project to the modern XE build, it was possible to use any hard drive up to 2 terabytes. I never needed more than 500 gigabytes. Even today, it's still plenty for me. However, in 2022, there are others who crave a lot more storage space, and 2 terabytes was starting to become limiting. Larger hard drives and SSDs continue to get cheaper, too. Today, I am pleased to announce the next evolution of Xbox 360 internal hard drive upgrades, a comprehensive kernel patch unlocking up to 16 terabytes of space. Now, it looks like here, if you have Fat Explorer 3.0, the latest beta, you do now have XL storage tools, which we've seen before, but now there are Apply HDD patches as opposed to also, you know, only having Apply USB patches. So you do have both there. Now here it says what you want to do. And there is also this big warning here that just shows what's going on in regards to this. Now just skimming this a bit here, it does look like in order to enable the internal, you know, XL hard drive patches, I guess you can say, it states that you must reflash your NAND with a new XE built image built with specific patches. The benefits it states here are that you can connect a single internal SATA hard drive up to a maximum of six terabytes. You can use any hard drive or SSD you can physically fit in your Xbox 360, although it does state here that there are height limitations that you might have to modify, and three and a half hard drives do require 12 volts of power. All the storage space is fully supported by the 360 dashboard and homebrew application, so Aurora, Freestyle, XEX Mini, they're all going to work. Performance is not impacted in the vast majority of cases, and Xbox 360 boot times are still fast, even with a 16TB hard drive. The number of items that can be stored in a single folder has been doubled to 8192 when the cluster size is 512 kilobytes, and reformatting hard drives on the Xbox 360 dashboard is supported. However, the limitation here is it says some games with specific non-buffered or asynchronous I.O. patterns may load slower. That's interesting to note. And another thing for anybody who's wanting to double up, it says at least at this time, the XL hard drive patches cannot be combined with the XL USB patches. So, hmm, all right. 
Now also it states here you must format the hard drive you want to use in FedEx Explorer before putting it in your Xbox 360 or else you will get an E69 error. After formatting once using FAT Explorer, you can reformat the hard drive at any time in the Xbox 360 dashboards. So it even states here that there are fewer limitations compared to XL USB patches, and it states that the sole limitation shown above is more of an assumption than a proven fact. If your drive is fast enough, you may not even encounter the problem. So this is cool to see here, and this is also interesting. I'm more thinking of the limitation side of it because it does state here that, yeah, right now, for anybody thinking you can do XL USB and XL uh, hard drive or HDD, uh, you can't do both at once. So I guess this is going to depend on person to person. But I would say maybe for me, if I was setting it up for me personally, like my own usage and all that, I'd probably want to get a really big hard drive, like a really big internal drive, install that in my system, and then use XL USB or XL HDD on there. See, I'm already mixing them up. Uh, the reason why I'm doing that, or I would choose to do that, is because uh, XL USB seems to be a little more limiting. Uh, by that, I mean that any USB drives, you cannot just, you know, take a, once you install those patches, yes, you can always undo the patches, which you have to reflash the NAND back over, but once you have a XL USB enabled NAND, you can't just take like a standard USB drive and plug it in. It does have to be set up for XL USB and you have to format it through FedEx Explorer. So that might be a little bit limiting and even just for my usage because for me when I'm transferring stuff to and from the 360 I'm kind of just grabbing random drives and all that stuff. So if you're going to make that specific use case there and you're okay with those limitations that's fine but it seems like XL HDD is going to be less limiting overall so that's why i'd be okay with it like if i ever just need to grab a random usb drive or do something with it i don't have to worry about formatting it on a fatx explorer and even if you're saying oh you can format the drive on the console itself it looks like you can format a hard drive using xl hdd like an internal drive with the patches but XL USB, no, you can't take a USB drive and format it on the 360 itself. You'd have to externally format it through FatX Explorer, and then this console can only run FatX Explorer formatted XL USB drives. Now, there's a lot more of a technical deep dive here, including like, you know, how this was all done and such. But the performance review, because we had seen this before for XL USB, I would like to check this out here. And he even states here the XL USB patches boosted loading and mounting performance. The same loading mounting patches were ported over, but due to the higher speed of the SATA connection, the difficulty of precisely measuring performance at boot time, it's unclear if loading and mounting time are significantly better. However, the good news is that no delays were observed at boot time, even when loading mounting 16 terabytes. As for read-write performance, there is no increase in performance. Unlike XLUSB, no areas of improvement were found. Read-write performance is the same as it was without the patches. The internal SATA connection is significantly faster than USB 2.0 though. It's recommended you use the internal drive for gaming instead of a USB, and here's a performance comparison here where it looks like for seconds in regards to this he's saying slower is better, but for reading a 512 megabyte file with a 1 megabyte buffer, it took a USB drive 22 seconds while as it took the SATA drive 4 seconds, which yeah, I can see that. As for recommendations, it looks like a 2.5 inch SSD seems to be the best option here, uh, just because of how physically large some hard drives will get. Like a large, like large in, I guess, you know, 
storage size 2.5 inch hard drive it states it must be seven millimeters to fit in the slims drive bay uh, so there's just going to be drives that will not fit and for three and a half inch hard drives they will need a 12 volt mod to you know supply enough power to this so really this would be beneficial if you're looking to i would say probably the most accessible version if you're going to be using this um yeah as he says here, two and a half inch SSD might be the best option. Another important note here saying that you can use existing 360 hard drives, but you have to reformat them. FatX Explorer must format all hard drives at least once or else the 360 will show a E69 on boot. This is to prevent corruption of data when a non-XL formatted drive is connected. However, if you do the opposite, if you plug a XL formatted drive into consoles without the patches applied, the drive will load, but it will show the incorrect space values and will appear empty. Uh, but it says you will also corrupt at least one file if you do this, so maybe don't do that. And it looks like here we do have a 16 terabyte internal drive, and right there that is 16 terabytes. It does look like these are going to be free, just like the XL USB patches. However, it states only FatX Explorer will be able to browse the hard drive when it is connected to PC, and that will require a paid license past the trial period. Also, a quick note on the XL USB patches here. It looks like we got version 2 of the patches, and they state that they added support for USB drives larger than 16 terabytes. Uh, 16 terabytes is still the maximum that can be used, but space beyond 16 terabytes cannot be used. So that's actually similar to kind of what we were seeing with, you know, the Xbox 360 before, where people could take a 4 terabyte drive and they can get it to work on the 360 but you can only use up to two terabytes on there. And they're also saying they implemented new no buffering emulation layer to fix issues with certain games not loading. File flag no buffering is no longer applied system-wide. But again, Eaton is reminding us that XL USB patches cannot be combined with XL hard drive patches at this time. It may be possible to have both in the future, but for now you must choose one or the other. So seriously, this is super awesome to see, and it seems to be supported within JRunner with extras as well too. XL USB was already in there, so XL hard drive is going to be in there as well too. Really a big thank you to Eaton in regards to this. This is a fantastic update to Z. And I know some people have been asking me, hey, am I going to cover a video on this? I would like to cover videos on these, uh, but because there is still things that are being adjusted, edited, and even though this is super cool, I am not going to downplay this at all. This is super cool, super awesome. Let's also just be realistic. This is not going to be for everyone. So I also don't want a whole lot of people using patches that are clearly in beta that are still being worked on, still being improved on, and maybe even being locked out of their system. And by that I mean, you know, they might not be able to use their hard drive properly because they don't understand, you know, the formatting process on here, or even USB drives. They might not fully realize, hey, I have a use case for just standard FAT32 USB drives and now I can't use them. Like, what do I do? So uh, that's why these patches are awesome. They're great. I think they are fantastic. They're not going to be for everyone, but I would like to cover these at one point once they are out of beta. Another project I end up seeing here come to fruition pretty recently was a Sonic Mania decompilation. Now, typically I see older games decompiled, but I was surprised to see this one being as new as it is because I believe Sonic Mania came out in... 
2017, I want to say, and this is for the Plus version here. So this is from Rubber Ducky Cooley, who had actually worked on, let's see, down here, they've worked on Sonic CD and Sonic 1 and 2 decompilations. Uh, now, over here, we can just check this out, that it does support the official release of Sonic Mania Plus. So it's like many other decompilations, where you do need to get the assets from the game itself, and then you can use them through this decompiled project on here. But looks like here there are some additional tweaks on this, not only just being open source, but also stating here that there is a built-in mod loader and API calls to enable a much smoother modding experience, added support for targeting RSDK version 5U as opposed to a standalone RSDK version 5, and added all content from all released versions of the game, including the 1.00 console initial release, 1.03 the, the PC initial release, and the 1.06 release, which is the plus update. There's instructions on how to build this as well too, and there is also releases that you can download here, with version 1.0.0 being released a few days ago at the time of recording this. But checking out the frequently asked questions here, you can see that, as I mentioned earlier, there was a decompilation for Sonic CD and Sonic 1 and 2. However, will there be a decompilation for Sonic Origins or Sonic 3? And their answer is no, this is the last decompilation from us, this project took about 1.5 years to do, and doing Sonic 3 would take equally as long, if not longer, as Sonic 3 is not only larger in scope, but Origins hybrid codebase makes it harder to read. We would also like to expand our horizons beyond Sonic going forward, and we don't wish to spend forever just playing catch up with Sega's official releases. Are there any other decompilation projects in the works? Absolutely not. Between the last two and this one, we're done with decompiling, at least for the time being. Please do not expect any more decompilations from us, Sonic or otherwise. So a big thank you to the couple people here, Rubber Ducky Cooley, as well as MG Rich for working on this. And this is pretty cool to see because check this out, Sonic Mania is now on Vita. Now all the information here is the same because this is a fork, but this is from Sonic Master. And if we come over to the releases, check this out here. It just says download and install the VPK, copy your Sonic Mania data.rsdk file from your Steam or PS4 or Switch dumps into the data slash mania folder and from there you can enjoy it does look like there are some known issues here at least on the vita version saying special stages are very lacking in performance this is a renderer limitation and cannot be improved without more work from the upstream developers grabbing onto tails results in sonic instantly falling this is an upstream issue any fix will be merged. Looks like there was an issue with the game taking a while to start up, but they're saying that this will be removed in the next update, and Stardust Speedway bosses are slow. They're basically half 3D stages. No fix for this is considered possible at the moment. And here, of course, you have a settings INI file as well as the VPK. So super awesome to see this release as well too. Now, at the end of these episodes, I try to cover something that I think is cool, random, interesting, funny, whatever it might be in regards to the modding scene here and this is a little bit of that I would say I thought this was cool because I always kind of made this assumption here but Zeko Xiao ended up tweeting this here and they said thanks to Doubles Advocate for the pictures we finally have proof of a 1.00 retail PlayStation 3 console. And just taking a look at this here, let's look at these photos. Now for the first photo, it shows the initial setup. And it's interesting to me because it says maximum resolution 1080p, but it has D5 right there. 
Interesting, alright. Another photo showing to turn off the controller, turn off the system. Here we go, this is proof that it looks like this is a 20GB PS3 model, and it is running the, the, the earliest retail firmware available, version 1.00. And here we go, we have some extra information on this as well too. This is, this is cool to see so far. So if you're like me, and you might be sitting here wondering, okay, like what is the big deal about this? Like, there are PlayStation 3s, if you've ever jailbroken one of the earlier models, and you look at the minimum version it can take, they can go down to firmware 1.00. So that's actually what I asked uh, Zeko Xiao on here. I just honestly asked, hey, pardon my ignorance, but was there no proof of this before? And if so, why is that? And he replied saying, there was no proof before. There was a whole discussion on the wiki with several members of it debating if this version existed or not. This was after the fail overflow hack. And and it actually looks like, yeah, over on the PS3 developer wiki, um, there was discussion on this here. This was linked to me by Zeko Xiao, but <laughs> let's just see what's going on here. So it looks like there was some debate because this uh, game Mobile Suit Gundam Target and Sight seemed to have uh, the same game disc here, including two different firmware updates, one being 1.02 and one being 1.11, uh, which it looks like they were saying, hey, that's not going to be possible, so... Uh, which one is it here? They were trying to figure that out. But they're also saying, wait, so CEX 1.00 existed at some point. Because, I mean, this is implying if this disc has a firmware update on it, and for anyone who does not know, yeah, uh, there are discs that have firmware updates on them. The PSP had this, the PS3 has this, I'm pretty sure the... I would hope the PS4 has this as well, too. Uh, even the Switch, for example, it has it. Like, if you have your system completely offline and you purchase a brand new game and you're on an outdated firmware, you can pop that cartridge into your system, and if you want to play it, you can update your system using that cartridge. So this is why it's being implied here, hey, if this game comes with a 1.02 system update file, that implies that there are consoles out there on a 1.00 firmware. They were able to find proof of 1.00 DEX, 1.00 DECR, 1.00 AV firmwares. Uh, in short, those are just, you know, more internal, you know, development systems and debug systems and all that. Just not retail systems, but a CEX firmware. That is not the store that's over in, like, you know, the UK across the pond. Uh, CEX firmware for the PS3 is a retail firmware. They didn't even have the build dates of the original 1.00 firmware. Yeah, there are build dates for 1.02, 1.00 AV, but it looks like at this time, at least right now, uh, there was nothing on the first firmware. So I know this is definitely going to get data mined and such, and people are going to be looking into this and see what's going on here. But at least previously, it was said here, where is CEX 1.00? And somebody answered, most probably was used at factory and it was not used for much time because was replaced at factory soon by a higher firmware version or the consoles was manually updated as a second firmware installation. So we will probably never see the firmware 1.00 pup. Meaning that essentially, yeah, for all these years, I had no idea, but it seems that even though there are PS3s out there that can go all the way down to firmware 1.00, there's not a 1.00 firmware update file out there, which also makes sense. 
at the same time? However, it's stating here most recently at the time of recording this, the saga continues. Greets fly out to Doubles Advocate and Zeko Shao, of course, for their finding. And hopefully it should arrive within the next few weeks, months, and then I'll be able to open it up and dump the NAND. So overall, some PS3 history that is still being dug up and, you know, unearthed and everything. And just uh, a lot of stuff that's being found here, even... 16 years, almost 16 years after launch. The PS3 is that old. Yep. <laughs> Either way, with that realization being realized, I suppose, uh... I guess this is the end of this episode of Mod Chat. Now, what I like to do at the end of these episodes is I like to pick a keyword or a key phrase that you can use if you leave a comment on the YouTube upload. And as I'm looking through comments, if I see this keyword or key phrase has been used, then I'll be able to see that you've made it to the end of this episode. And uh, you know, for this, how about remote? How about that? If you use the word remote in the comment that you leave on the YouTube upload, I will know that you've made it to the end of this episode. Anyways, this is Mr. Mario signing off. Thank you all for listening and watching, everyone. Until next time.